Amen, amen. Hey, welcome to Victory at Home. Victory at Home. If you're with somebody right now, I want you to give them a high five. I want you to get excited about it just for a moment. We got a few people with us. All right, let me hear y'all. Come on, give us some noise in here this morning. Let's hear it. We got a few with us this morning. Welcome to Victory at Home home. I want to do a couple things real quick. Uh, first, I want to just welcome all of our Victory family. So good to have you. We are continuing, as you see, into phase one church online, and we are believing that God is uh, getting us closer and closer to being able to open up. So I want to say welcome to all of our Victory family, but I don't want to stop there. I also want to say welcome to all of our extended Victory family. We have people watching every week from different cities and different states, and so I just want to say welcome. We're so glad to have you, whether you're watching with us on Sunday or Monday or throughout the week. So excited. And then I also want to say welcome to all of our new Victory family. So many people have started watching and being a part of our church weekly uh, once the, the, the COVID-19 happened and all the restrictions were put in place and we were kind of closed down and not allowed to meet in person. We had a lot of different people join the family online. I want to say welcome. We're so excited to have you be a part of the family. We cannot wait to be able to hang out with you in person. Hey, if you are with us today or if you're just joining with us today, we are in a series called The Journey. And what we are doing is we are taking the book of John and we're going through the book of John chapter by chapter, answering the question, who is Jesus? And we chose this particular book. Um, and one of the reasons is this is because John's gospel, the, the letters that he writes, um, is actually what has happened is he spent years with Jesus and then he sets down and begins to put all of those experiences on paper and gather them into a book we call the book of John, the gospel of John. And a lot of it is put out so that you can know who Jesus is is because John says, hey, I've spent these years with Jesus. I saw his character. I saw how he interacted with people. I saw the miracles he did. And through all of that, I came up with this is who Jesus is. And so it's important for us to follow through with those scriptures and come to those same conclusions. And so again, we've kind of gone through John chapter one, two, three, and today we're in John chapter four. And so I want to encourage you to get your Bible as we begin to open this, open this up. And I've also been encouraging you to journal I think it's so important for you to journal throughout this series because, number one, I'm going to say things. I'm going to say a lot of things, and there might be something that really jumps out to you that uh, may not have been one of my main points that you would want to write down. It may be something that the Holy Spirit speaks to you that maybe I didn't even say, or maybe you're doing some uh, separate studies throughout the week on our website at tmvictory.com. Join the journey. We have study guides that take you through more of the scripture throughout the week and different insights. Also, go to our website, register to join the journey so that you can get extra notes from me throughout the week. And we're just trying to saturate ourselves with Jesus. Are you excited about that? All right, so here we go. John chapter four, we're going to start at verse one. And it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And so again, we just kind of came off last week um, where Jesus is in a conversation with Nicodemus, and then he goes and, and, and performs a miracle for this noble man, a resurrection of sorts, and now he's beginning to gain all of this information, all this, um, I would say fame, but really all this attention, let's say that. He's beginning to gain all this attention for baptizing more people than John, although it's really his disciples doing the baptizing, not Jesus. So Jesus gets on the move, and he's going from Judea to Galilee. Now we pick up verse 4. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, that's important because the concept was this, that Jews did not want to go through Samaria, so there was actually another route that they would take when traveling. So the idea that he had to go through Samaria is not the way we perceive it. 
as if every other way was blocked, so he had to go through Samaria. When it says he had to go through Samaria, it's because he had an appointment with somebody, and he had to meet that appointment. And so that's what it's saying. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called uh, Sachar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6 is important. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was tired, right? What a, what a phenomenal point from John to show us that Jesus is 100% man while he's also 100% God. So he's there. He gets tired. He sits down at Jacob's well. That's going to be important. And it was about noon. When all of a sudden, here's the appointment that he had. All of a sudden, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And it said in parentheses that his disciples had gone into the town to buy food, so they were not there. And the Samaritan woman responds to Jesus, watch this. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then it says in parentheses, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Now, I was doing some study on this this week, and I want to show you just how extreme Jews were when it came to their hatred for Samaritans. It was actually believed, or, or it was actually practiced, that Jews would pray that God would not hear Samaritans' prayers, right? That's, that's pretty intense. So that just kind of puts up there for you real quick the idea of how much the, 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 the first century Jews of that day despised Samaritans. So this woman obviously says, hey, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. How could you ask me for a drink? You hate me and so on. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I want to take just a moment today. I want to talk to you from the subject, living in a thirsty world. Living in a thirsty world. It, it was, I don't know, it was, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or so. Darla and I were youth pastors, and I'll never forget this moment. I was standing amongst a, a bunch of teenagers, and they were all saying the same thing and laughing. They kept making the comment about her being thirsty or him being thirsty, and they would start laughing. And it was one of those laughs that people do where you know it's a little abnormal. You know what I mean? Like, it's possible that you don't quite get the joke that they're talking about because you're not laughing the way that they're laughing. Like, I had heard the concept that someone was thirsty all my life, and I never thought it was funny. I never understood. I always thought, get that person a drink or a sweet tea or something. I don't, I don't never found the humor in that individual being thirsty, but these teenagers were laughing. I'm talking belly laughing at the idea that somebody was thirsty, and it didn't take very long before they realized that I wasn't laughing the way they were laughing, and so they were able to come to the conclusion that I didn't quite know what they were talking about, and so they come over to me, and they say, hey, Pastor Troy, um, you know, do you, do you not know what we're talking about? And I said, no, apparently I've missed it. And they said, oh, you don't know what being thirsty means? And I said, no, I know exactly what being thirsty means. I, I, I know it. I've, I've been thirsty all throughout my life. I know what it means. I said, however, I want you to tell me what it means to you. Because obviously it means something different to you than it does to me. And they went on to tell me, and I'll give you a little bit of feedback to that. In 2003, the Urban Dictionary and our culture put into place the term thirsty, okay? So they put the term thirsty, and what it means is it is describing an individual who is desperate or who is longing for something. So they took the normal concept thirsty that you and I, Jamal's drinking water right now because he's thirsty, right? Right? Very normal. It makes sense. It's not funny. But, but, our, but our current culture, or, or at least around 2003, took that concept, that term thirsty, and they, they created this whole definition that if somebody is longing for something 
are desperate for something, then they are thirsty. Now, here's what I think is interesting. That forever, every person has a spiritual longing, right? This, this, this spiritual need for fulfillment. And it's funny that Jesus in John chapter 4 sits down and uses this illustration of thirsty to create a picture of somebody longing spiritually, right? Jesus was the very first person to put that context, put that concept into play. Jesus sits down with this woman who is spiritually longing for something and says, you're thirsty. And yet 2,000 years later, we are still using the term thirsty to refer to people who have a longing or a desperation. And 2,000 years ago, listen, or sorry, 2,000 years later, we are still thirsty. Isn't that interesting? And so as Jesus is interacting with this thirsty woman, he gets ready to say something to her that if you've got your journal, you need to get ready to take notes because in John chapter one, we learn that Jesus, was the lamb, Jesus is the lamb of God. John chapter two, I thought that was so important because if you're gonna do bookends of your faith with Jesus, you need to start with the fact that he died for your sins. And then in week two, we went to John chapter two and we established that Jesus is the resurrection because to me, those are the bookends of Christianity. You need to know that Christ died for your sins, but you also need to know that he resurrected, right? And so we, we started off, Jesus is the lamb of God and Jesus is the resurrection. And last week was one of my favorite, I hope you watched it. We talked about Jesus being the new normal and the idea that Jews believed he had come to continue their, their, their old way of beliefs. And Jesus said, no, I'm actually, here to establish something totally new. So we learn that Jesus is the Lamb of God and we learn that Jesus is the resurrection and Jesus is the new normal. And Jesus sits down on this well with this thirsty woman and he says, I, Jesus, am the living water. The living water. He's sitting there in this conversation with a woman who is thirsty, who has spiritual longing, a spiritual need. She's desperate. And Jesus says, you're lucky because I am the living water. In John chapter four, verse 13, he goes on to say, says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, as he's pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. So every person that comes to this well and has natural water, though they might have a fulfillment for a moment, they're going to go away and be thirsty again, and they will return to this well. He says, but whoever drinks the water that I give them, I thought this was interesting, will never thirst. So whoever comes to this well and drinks, they're gonna thirst again. But whoever comes to Jesus, the living water, will never thirst again. Indeed, in fact, he says, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So let's just talk for a moment. It seems like what is happening in this interaction between Jesus and this very thirsty woman is that Jesus is telling her that when it comes to her thirst, he is enough, right? Seems like Jesus is saying, I understand that you are longing for something. I understand that you are desperate. I understand that you need fulfillment. But I am here and I am enough and I can fulfill you and I can take away the need and I can fulfill the desperation. I am enough. I can fulfill your thirst. That's what Jesus is saying. Yet, it seems as if so many Christians, watch this, are no more fulfilled than those who don't follow Christ. Right? 
Like, like we have all these people, at least they're claiming to be Christians, and yet they don't seem any more fulfilled than those who do not claim to be Christians. Jesus says, if you come to me, I am the living water. If you thirst, I am the drink you need. I am a tall glass of water. And if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. Never thirst again, Jesus says. Yet here we are in 2020, and it seems like most people who consider themselves to be Christians, they say they are Christians, are no more fulfilled, no more satisfied, have just as much longing as those who are not claiming to be Christians. In fact, a bunch of Barna studies, different Barna studies, put together in a book I was reading, gathered information that said this. When it came to Christians, watch this, and non-Christians in different areas, they started off, they said, divorce rates are just about as high as they are with Christians as they are with non-Christians. Isn't that interesting? In other words, in non-Christian homes, homes that do not follow Christ, homes that do not have biblical backing, the divorce rate in that home is almost the same as it is in the home of those who follow Christ. I wanted to say that when it came to viewing pornography, it was almost the exact same rate in the homes of those who are not Christians as it is those who are Christians. When it came to domestic abuse, it was almost the same in non-Christian homes as it is in Christian homes. When it came to drug and alcohol abuse, it's almost the same in Christian homes as it is in non-Christian homes. And one of the statements that I thought was interesting is it said, it's actually more likely to hear a racist comment out of a Christian's mouth than it is a non-Christian's mouth. So when you look at those statistics and you step back and you're hearing Jesus say, if you come to me, you will never thirst again. But if these statistics are real and you can look them up yourself, if these statistics are right, it seems as if the modern day Christian is not living any different than the non-Christian, right? It's almost like the modern day Christian is not experiencing any more fulfillment, not having any more of a longing met than someone who is not following Christ. And here was the question I came to, and here to me is where the tension is that you and I have to be able to talk through. How is it possible that so many are meeting the living water and walking away unsatisfied? Because when I read John chapter four, Jesus sits down and says to that woman, if you partake of this water, you'll never thirst. But yet I'm watching so many people who are saying, hey, I'm trying to partake of that water. I'm going to church. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. And yet so many people are having a meeting with the living water. And yet they're walking away unsatisfied. What is happening there? What is wrong? Why? Help me with that tension. So that's what I want to try to do just for a moment this morning. I'll share with you one of the first thoughts that I had. Uh, about six months ago or so, Darla and I were talking, and we decided that we wanted to lose a little weight. We, we knew that we had a beach trip coming up in the fall, and we wanted to get a little bit more beach ready, you know what I mean? And so, so we were talking, and, and listen, let me, let me go ahead and set you up real quick with my lifestyle. I've never been one that eats breakfast. 
I've always been kind of an intermittent fasting kind of person, and so I would eat lunch and dinner. I would never eat breakfast. But because I didn't eat breakfast, I justified having this really, these really large meals for lunch and dinner. I right? was like, I didn't eat breakfast, so I can have six burgers for lunch, right? It only makes sense. And so I'd have these big lunches and these big dinners. And so Donna and I are talking, and she goes, hey, if you want to lose weight, why don't you consider this? She said, why don't you consider doing meal replacement? And she says, so you could take your lunch, and you can replace it with, she works for a company called Arbon, and they have these phenomenal protein shakes. And she's like, you could replace that, that, that meal with a protein shake, and then, you know, that would be less calories, you'd be able to lose weight. I said, like, okay, I could do that. I had tried the milkshake, it was, or the protein shake, it was really good. And so I said, like, I could do that. And so I said, but here's my problem. I said, I'm, I'm used to having really big lunches. And you're talking about replacing that with just a little protein shake, so I'm a little worried. And she said, well, you can have two protein shakes if you need to, it's still less calories. I was like, cool, awesome. So we, we begin the process. I start having one protein shake for lunch, and then I would have dinner as normal for, for, for months. And what's crazy is I find myself being fulfilled. Like, like after the protein shake, I felt good. That I, I didn't need any more food. Now, I could have eaten. <laughs> if you would have brought a cheeseburger over, I could have eaten it without you know, any problem, but, but I didn't need it. And then the more things continued and time went on, I found myself having to, to have lunch meetings here or there where I'd have to eat. And so I'd have like you know, a small piece of salmon and some broccoli. Or we'd go somewhere and I'd have like a poke bowl. And normally, that would have never been enough food to satisfy me. Like someone would have brought that out and I'd be like, all right, that's the appetizer. When's my lunch coming? You know what I mean? Like I just had this mindset that I needed all of this food. Then we go on a trip and we're not able to make protein shakes during the day. And so we, we, here's what we did. One day, you ready? One day for lunch. And we had dinner, but one day, the entire day for lunch, all we had to eat, Darla and I split a pretzel. It's pretty impressive, right? The, the next day, and none of y'all care. It's okay. I'll talk to everybody at home, okay? The next day, they, they, they could care less. The next day, we split a veggie wrap. So this is all I was having for lunch. And then I was having for dinner. I don't know why you're not amazed. This is blowing my mind, okay? So I finally had to have this conversation with Darla, and I said, I can't believe this because I'm so used to having like a full meal for lunch, and now I'm having this small meal, and I feel great. Like I'm not hungry, and I told her this. I said, I'm almost ashamed that I used to eat all of that, right? And, and sometimes I wanted dessert after that. Like, how could I do it? And she made this comment, and you're probably familiar with this concept. She goes, well, that's because your stomach's shrinking, right? Y'all have probably heard that before, like the idea that you start eating less and your stomach starts shrinking. And, and we're driving, when she says this, we're driving down the street. And all of a sudden, I had this thought. And I went, you know what, babe? It's not that my stomach is shrinking, but in reality, it's that my stomach is returning to its natural size, Right? Like, my stomach's not shrinking. I'm not, not if, if I don't continue, it's not like I'm going to be like, and you know, it's, like, what's happening is when I kept eating those large meals, I kept expanding my stomach. And now it's kind of perversed. And what I think I need to fulfill that stomach is way more than I actually need. And when I start, watch this, when I return to what I normally need, that stomach starts to return to its natural size. Right? So when I had that thought, I immediately went to this thought. I couldn't quite come up with a great name for it, for let's just call it our tank of fulfillment, okay? We are stepping back asking, how come Jesus doesn't fulfill that tank? What has happened is we have perversed our lifestyle so much that we have actually expanded the tank of fulfillment. It's, it, it used to be this small. Now it's this big. 
Now we can't just watch TV. We gotta watch TV, be on our phone, and have a laptop in our lap, right? Because that fulfillment, that tank fulfillment, is, you can't just watch a movie. You gotta be TikToking while you're watching the movie. Like, it just continues to expand. You can't just be in one relationship. You gotta be in two, right? You, you, you can't just be faithful you got to have multiple partners because we've expanded this tank of fulfillment. I can't just have a cheeseburger. i got to have a triple cheeseburger. And this tank of fulfillment has expanded so much. Watch this. And we wonder, how come Jesus isn't fulfilling this tank of fulfillment? Because our lifestyle is so perverse that this tank has expanded. Now watch this. It's not that Jesus can't fulfill it. It's that Jesus refuses to. Because that tank is perverse. And Jesus says, if you will confront that sinful lifestyle and you will allow that fulfillment tank to return to the place that I created it to be, then, then you will never thirst. Think about that. That messed me up when I got that mindset. How many things am I doing in my life that I think I need to bring me fulfillment? And because I'm doing them, they have expanded what I think I need to have fulfillment. And I say dumb things like, Jesus could never meet that. And the whole time Jesus is sitting back going, you've misunderstood the whole process. And I, I'll be honest with you, I think, I think it's going to take this entire series for me to fully be able to show you what we have to do to return that tank to its original place of fulfillment. But I do wanna give you a starting point. And the first thought is this, that if you and I want to return our tank of fulfillment to its original place, I think it starts by confronting our sinful lifestyle. Let me give you a thought. The Bible says that this woman was leaving her town and going to a well. They actually referred to it as Jacob's well. And I've studied that well for weeks. And a couple of different things that I learned about this well uh, through a couple of different theologians, one of them is that this well was somewhere between a half of a mile to a mile away from her home. They actually said that they believed that she would have passed a well, if not multiple wells, to get to this well, which I thought was interesting. You know, the woman's coming at noon already because she has a bad reputation and she doesn't want to really be around a lot of people. So it was interesting to me that this woman would walk a half a mile to a mile past wells in the process to get to this one specific well. Jesus said it was Jacob's well, so, so, or John said. So there had to be something about Jacob's well that would cause this woman to bypass this well to get to this well, Right? When it, when it comes to us and it comes to us looking for fulfillment, there has to be a reason that we would bypass Jesus to go on to some other well asking it to bring fulfillment that he's supposed to bring. Why was this woman passing wells to get to Jacob's well? What was the reason? The more study I did, the more I realized this. You ready? This well had a reputation. The reputation of this well was it was a good place for women to find good men. Zipporah met Moses there. Rebecca met Isaac there. Rachel met Jacob there. The reputation that was kind of going around town. It wasn't, it wasn't a prophecy. 
It was just one of those things, hey, did you hear about Rebecca? What about Rebecca? She found a man. Rebecca found a man? Where'd she find a man? I don't even know. What's, what's, what's the dating site app things? Slide, slide.com. I don't even know what they are. That's how holy I am. So where did you meet him at? Met him at Jacob's well. What? You got to be kidding. Did you hear Zipporah? Zipporah met a man? Her name is ugly. How she meet a man? Jacob's well. So it had this reputation, right? So watch this. This is so powerful. Catch this. Why would this woman bypass this well to get to this well? There's going to be men here, potentially, maybe, but she knows that this well has a reputation. It has a reputation that if she'll go to it, just like Rebecca and just like Rachel, she might find a man too. And so she keeps going to it. Watch this. Even though it's not working. When Jesus, in a minute, we'll look at this, calls out her sinful lifestyle, he says, you've had five husbands and you got a boo on the side right now. That's six men. She's been going to this well how long? Jeff, she's on her sixth guy. It's not working, Scout. It's, something's broken. But she keeps going back to the well because it's got a reputation and because supposedly it can fulfill her. And even though she's now on her seventh try, she'll do it again because she has hope that one day it'll fulfill her. And you'll find out in reading that actually she's dying inside to quit coming here to begin with. You ever found yourself going to a well because it has this reputation that it can fulfill you? Even though you've been multiple times and it's never lasted and you keep finding yourself right back, but you keep going back and forth because it's got a reputation and because for some sick reason, you hope that the seventh time you go, it'll finally bring the fulfillment that you've been wanting, right, right? And even though you go, you secretly inside want to quit going. You don't want to be there. They said, she said, thank you. Give me that water so I can quit coming here. I guarantee you people would say right now, give me fulfillment so I can quit coming here. We all have a modern day well. How many people go to Facebook and social media right now to find fulfillment? Because there's this reputation that if somebody likes what you post, or maybe he'll slide into your DMs, or no, no, there'll be some moment that might bring fulfillment. And even though you've been before and it didn't work, You've got this false hope that maybe the seventh time is the charm, right? How many times do we run back to that dysfunctional relationship? You don't want to be there. There's a reason you quit it the first time. But then comes this moment where you need, you have a a longing And the world tells you, or the reputation is that if you can just be in a relationship. See, there's a false lie, and I want to pray right now just for all single people. Because there's this false lie that if you can get in a relationship, you'll find completion. Doesn't work that way, right? But that's what society tells us. So, So people will run into relationships, and they'll find dysfunctional relationships, and they'll keep running back to those relationships, even though they know they don't work. 
but they'll keep going back and secretly inside they're going, I wanna quit him. I wanna quit her. But I got this longing, right? How many times do people run to drugs, alcohol, sex? I mean, I could name it all day. We've all had modern day whales. And we run to them because of a false reputation that it's gonna bring some fulfillment that Jesus already told us he would provide. But you know what was interesting to me? Jesus sits down beside this woman. He says, hey, I am the living water. And if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. It's powerful, right? But then I got confused. Because there was a verse later on in John where Jesus is in the process of the crucifixion. And it's actually interesting enough, I don't know if you know this, Jesus was offered something to drink twice throughout the process of the crucifixion. First time he didn't partake of it because it was mixed with myrrh so it would have played like an agent of a painkiller. So that's what they were trying to give Jesus is kind of a painkiller, but Jesus didn't want that because he knew that if he was gonna fulfill the prophecy, he couldn't take a painkiller because the lamb that's offered doesn't get the opportunity to take a painkiller, so Jesus couldn't take the painkiller. But then later on, there's a moment where Jesus is on the cross, and the verse actually starts off by saying that it, that it was finished. Jesus had accomplished what he came to accomplish, and it says that Jesus says, watch this, Jesus says, I thirst. That's where I got confused. Because how does the living water become thirsty? How can water need a drink? Isn't that strange? How could the one that tells us that he is the living water and if we will partake of him, we will never thirst again and yet just a few chapters later, he says, I thirst. Well, here's the truth. The reason why he said that is because at that moment when he was going through the crucifixion, it was that official moment where our sins had been placed on him and in that moment, for the very first time in his entire life, he was separated from God. It's so while on the cross, he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because in his entire life, especially his human life, 33 plus years, it was the only time he had ever felt separation from God. Proving, watch, so, so, so the first time ever that he feels a separation from God, he says, I thirst. Proving that fulfillment is found in proximity to God, right? I need fulfillment, so I keep running to the well because I just know the ninth time I go, it's gonna do it. I know Tom, Dick, Harry, Jerry, but at some point I'm gonna get there and Billy's gonna be there and I'm gonna be happy, right? Because we look for fulfillment. And there are people who are trying Jesus and walking away unfulfilled. How is it possible? And Jesus lays it out clear as day that in order for you to be fulfilled, it depends on your proximity to God. And watch this, ready? What separates you from God? 
sin. So in order for us to find fulfillment, it starts with us confronting our lifestyle of sin. I, I, I wrote it down like this. In order for us to be fulfilled, we have to address the mess. Right? Like, we have to address the mess. John chapter 4, verse 16. This is after Jesus tells this young lady, he says, hey, if you partake of me as living water, you'll never thirst again. Here's what she says. She says, give it to me. Give it to me. That's what we would all say. This is why people at first will run to Jesus because people will say things like, Jesus fulfills you. And so they show up expecting this instant, easy fix, right? That, that immediately, that's what she, she says, give it to me. Give it to me right now so that I can quit coming here. I think that's so profound. How many people today are saying, give me that so I can quit coming here? And, I, and, and, and again, if we were writing this book and I was to say to you, okay, Jesus sits down beside the woman. It's obvious that Jesus wants her to partake of him because of the way he's selling himself or however you want to word it. And then he says to her, living water, and she says, give it to me. And you would expect, you would expect Jesus to say, okay, here it is, right? But go back to that verse for a second. I, I want to show you how Jesus responds to her. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. That's a, that's a weird response. You've been talking about this thing you have. Give it to me. Your next line should be, here it is. What do you mean, go get my husband and come back? And, and we all know this because Jesus knows what she don't know he knows. And she says, I, I have no husband. I love it. Jesus said, you're right. Bingo. When you say you have no husband, you're right. If, as a matter of fact, the fact is you've, you've had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. So what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> I love that. All right. I see, I see you got a magical ball. You know all my business. I can see you are a prophet. Watch what she says. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What just happened? Walk with me on this because this is so powerful, okay? She sits down with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I've got something that will bring you forever fulfillment. She says, give it to me. And Jesus immediately mentions her sinful lifestyle. Wait a minute, that's not, the, that's not the route. I was expecting you to, something else, right? Like, like come on, we, we, you're supposed to love me first. But Jesus is talking about fulfillment. And so what he's coming to say is, hey, fulfillment is in proximity to God. And as long as you hide this sinful lifestyle, you can't be close to God. So we gotta talk about that first before we can talk about this, my God. That is what's not being told today. We gotta talk about this first before we can talk about this. Oh God, give me a purpose. All right, I got one for you. Let's go, but first. God, bring me fulfillment. God, bring me a husband. God, bring me a child. God, bring, God, fulfillment, fulfillment. All right, I got you, but first. 
I love how Charles Spurgeon said it. You see how she said, you're a prophet. You see how she said that? Charles Spurgeon said it like this. She perceived that he was a prophet, but it would have been better if she had perceived that she was a sinner. <laughs> I love that. She, she knew, she, she perceived who God was, but it would have been so much better if she would have perceived that she was a sinner. You know what I think is really funny? Was her comment about worshiping on a mountain. This is so great. Because we never do this. Jesus confronts her sinful lifestyle and she brings up a religious argument. Because the argument at that time was Samaritans believed you could only worship on a mountain while Jews believed you had to worship in, in the synagogue, right? So, so there was this argument because they wouldn't let Samaritans into the synagogue. So there was this argument that was constantly going on. Samaritans believe this and Jews believe this. And isn't this funny? This is so good. Oh my gosh. Jesus is like, you can be fulfilled. There's sin in your life. And I want to talk about it. She's like, oh, well, here's the deal, right? Jews say you're supposed to worship over here. Samaritan, he's like, what are you talking about? Why, why, why are we having a religious conversation that doesn't impact anything when I come to confront your sinful lifestyle? Listen to me. How come when Jesus confronts our sinful lifestyle, we back up and want to have a religious conversation? Well, only God can judge me. Well, I, you know, technically the Old Testament says, are you kidding me right now? Jesus laid it out clear as day. You want fulfillment? Your fulfillment is in, the prox in your proximity to God. And you cannot be in the presence of God while living a sinless, sinful lifestyle and, and loving it and enjoying it. You can be repentant, but you can't be actively in it. And Jesus says, let's talk about it. She goes, no, 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 no. Let's talk about how you won't worship on this mountain. And no, no, no. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about whether or not y'all sing hymns. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about if you take communion every Sunday or can we talk about that? Can we, can we talk about if you believe like the whole Old Testament? What, how do you feel about tattoos, right? Let's talk about that. Jesus says, no, no, no. I didn't come to talk about any of that. I came to talk about the fact that you are looking for fulfillment and fulfillment is right in front of you but you'll never be able to grasp that fulfillment until you let go of that lifestyle. Can I ask you a question? This is the question that has weighed on my mind all week. Why are we so sensitive about our sins? Why? Oh, don't talk about my sins. <laughs> People are so quick to say nobody's perfect, right? Everybody, nobody's perfect but yet we live in a lifestyle where we act like we think we should be. Why are we so sensitive about our sin? You know why? I think it's because we still fully believe that eventually it brings fulfillment. So we hang on tight to it. I was telling Darla, and, and you don't have to believe this, it's not... You're not going to find it in any commentary, but I told her, I said, I think the bucket was a cover-up. I don't think she was there for water. I think she knew that she had to bring the bucket to look like she belonged 
but she was there to get a man. Which is why she said, could you give me some water so I don't have to come here anymore? Can you fulfill me? You're, you're going to need water. You're going to have to come back to the well to get water. Yeah, I'm not really here for water. Right? I'm here for, in a minute, I'm going to show you in a minute. She leaves the bucket. That, the only way you can leave the bucket is if the bucket's a cover-up. It's, it's a lie. She finally found real fulfillment, and she doesn't need this anymore. And the reason why we won't let, Jamal, come here, come here, come here. The reason why we won't let it, get up here. Hurry up, what are you doing, man? Holy Spirit's in this place. What are you doing? Well, oh my gosh, this is so powerful. We come to church like this. And then here's Jesus. She tried to reach for my bucket. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Jesus, I want you. Come into my life. Reach for my bucket. Come in. Oh, 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 nope, 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 nope. Back up. I want fulfillment through you, Jesus, but you need to stay in your lane. Don't make me preach this. Here I am to worship. Don't be, don't be reaching for my bucket. But do you see the confusion? Fulfillment is in front of me, but I don't want you to mess with my bucket because there's something in me that still believes that my fulfillment is found in this bucket. So when you come after my sins, I become defensive because there's a part of me that still needs this. You can't have this. This is my, I know it's my seventh husband, but I find some kind of fulfillment in this. You can't, you can't have it. And why is it that we get so sensitive about it? Why can't we just talk about it? Why, why can't you just say, hey, this is what I struggle with. Last time I read, Jesus didn't expect me to be perfect. Hey, this is my bucket. I don't even want it. I don't even want it. I just don't know how to release it. Because everything around me keeps telling me that this has a reputation to eventually work. And I've been to church before, and Jesus didn't fulfill me. And the whole time Jesus is saying, listen, man, Christianity's never been about bucket improvement. It's about well replacement. Stan, we're going to read this together. John chapter 4, that up for me, Paul. Woo! Then, leaving her water jar, she leaves it. She leaves it. I thought about ending this with like, what kind of buckets do you need to leave today? Right? I thought about doing that. But then there becomes this like false belief that you can like put something down today and it's never gonna come back at you, right? I've learned that buckets have a way of following you home. You know what I mean? But it was the next part that, that really got me. It says the woman went back to the town and he said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can I ask you a question? 
You're reading what I'm reading. Do you, when you read that, come, see a man who told me everything. I, do you read anger in that? I don't, right? You don't see somebody come and be like, come. See a man that told me everything I ever did. Get off with my impersonation sometimes. You don't read insecurity. Because if I was insecure about that, the last thing I would do would be to come tell you to meet him. Come, see a man. See a man who told me everything I ever did. <laughs> Could you imagine if somebody knew everything you ever did? I won't go there. What I see is excitement. That's what confused me. How can Jesus call out her business and yet she gets up and with excitement runs to people that have chastised her her entire life, a community that has already pushed her aside, run in and with excitement say, come, I want to introduce you to someone who's told, who told me everything I ever did. How could you be excited about that? The only way you can become excited about that is when you get to a place where you're okay admitting your sins. This is, this is what I struggle with. Here I am. I'm through trying to, I'm preaching to somebody right now. Stop hiding what it is you're fighting. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus came so that we could be forgiven for our sins and then set free. But you got to, at some point, put the bucket down. Yes, sir. That's so good. He is the living water. You know what that tells me? I don't even need a bucket. I only use a bucket when I'm going somewhere where the water is and I got to be able to get so much to be able to take back with me. But if I understand that Jesus is the living water and he's constantly outpouring, and then he said he puts a well inside of me that begins to spring, that tells me I don't even need a bucket. Right? Right? I am the bucket. I am the bucket. My goodness. Pastor, it sounds so good. It sounds great. But it starts with me being able to come up and say, hey, I recognize that you're a prophet, but I recognize that I'm a sinner. Right? I just want to be in a place where people aren't so sensitive about their sin. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that get to a place where we're not angry about it or place where we dislike it. You know what I mean? But I just want to understand Jesus so well that I'm okay with admitting it. This is, this is what I struggle with. I think that's the beginning of finding true fulfillment. I bet if you could grab every person that they polled that said they had come into an experience with Jesus Christ, but they left without feeling fulfilled. 
I bet they would have some interesting things to say when you ask them about their sinful lifestyle. Well, did you let Jesus? No, no, no. Then why would you expect anything to change? Father, I thank you for your word, your presence. your Holy Spirit. And I just know somebody's watching right now, they have been fighting, trying to hide the thing they can't beat. And they keep running to modern day wells because the world keeps telling them that eventually it'll find them fulfillment. And Jesus, you're a well sitting on a well. saying, if you're partake of this water, you'll never thirst again. But it starts. It starts with being able to admit our sins. Your word says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Which means that I can admit where I'm struggling. and I can find the help of Jesus Christ. Father, how do I live in a thirsty world? I do it by being open about the fact that I'm thirsty. And then I watch you do what only you can do. So, Father, for every person that's watching, every person that's listening, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would just comfort them and let them know it's okay. You can perceive that he's a prophet. What you need to do is perceive that you are a sinner. But he came to save sinners just like us. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.